Beer and Honey, the German football pod. Beer and Honey, the German football pod. Part three of the Bundesliga preview review. We look at Borussia Dortmund's dramatic end to the season with a very special guest. But before that, a look at VfL Bochum and their equally dramatic survival in the Bundesliga, as well as VfL Wolfsburg's not quite as dramatic finish just outside European places. To discuss all this, we welcome our regular Christoph Biermann and myself, Raphael Honigstein. Thank you very much, dear listener. Thank you, especially members of the Beer and Honey Supporter Club. You know how important you are. If you're not yet a member, please consider supporting us. We do need your help for keeping Beer and Honey going. And there is a bit of a target that we need to fulfill to have a secure Beer and Honey financing in place for the next season. I hope we can reach it. Um, there's a lot of stuff happening already in the background. We've also had some very generous donations. Thank you so much for those. But if you can, become a Beer and Honey supporter or even better, become a Beer and Honey Ultra and you get a wonderful special mug as a token of our appreciation. But let's start, Christoph, with a team that is very close to your heart and that is Farfel Bochum, who are still, drumroll, in the Bundesliga next season. Unbelievable. <laughs> Who would have expected that? Not me. And especially not. So uh, let's rewind the season. We are at the uh, match day eight. And Bochum has one point. And I looked at the records and there were only six teams in the history of the Bundesliga who after eight uh, match days eight only had one point. And all of them had a better goal difference. And all of them were relegated. So it, this, um, that Buchum's, um stayed in the Bundesliga was labeled by the club and by the fans and so on as the third wonder. The first wonder what, was that they returned to the Bundesliga after 11 years. The second wonder that they stayed in the Bundesliga the season before and now the third wonder. And under these circumstances uh, that I mentioned one point after uh, match day eight, um, it was, um, it's, I, I think it's right. So um, Thomas Letch did a terrific job. And, um, but maybe, um, Before we get get into this, um, how he did it and what, what what he did, it was so funny what all went wrong before that. I don't know if you want to know or do you want to know? Are you listening to me, Raphael? <laughs> um, okay. Um, This two wonders uh, were mainly created by Sebastian Schinzelot, the sporting director who put the team together, and by Thomas Reis, who was a very successful coach. And um, 
And Sebastian Schinzelords knew already in summer, before the start of the season, that he wanted to leave the club because he was unhappy about he, uh, his contract situation was uh, dealt with by the um, by the board of the club, and uh, and that was strange because he is um, he may, he came into the club when he was I think nine or ten years old when he came from Poland as a kid, and so so VfL Bochum really is home to him. He played at the youth player there, became Bundesliga professional, and so on, and returned and became a sports director. So Bochum is a club uh, that he has close to his heart. Uh, Schinzelorz now is in a similar role at the club we are soon talking about, about VfL Wolfsburg. So he knew that, knewing that, uh, he heard that um, Schalke had approached Thomas Reis uh, to become, uh, to, to, to get, uh, get him as their coach. And uh, he, he turned the offer down. There wasn't even a, a proper offer. Uh, they asked him. He wanted to go. He wanted to, to coach Schalke. And um, Schinzelot said no, uh, because he knew I'm, as one of the pillars of this success story, will leave. And uh, the other one should stay. And um, so... That was a so Reis was kind of yes he was very disappointed on 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 one side but on the other I think he he forgot more or less about it but he talked a lot about it so almost everybody knew it in the club some journalists and and, and so on and when the uh, season started. And they had this uh, bad uh, run of results, uh, six defeats in the six first uh, games. Um, the news came up, so um, it hasn't been written about it, that uh, uh, Reis had an offer uh, from Schalke before the start of the season and that he wanted to go there. And normally um, this would have been the chance, so it became public and there was a press conference and uh, he was asked about it and normally uh, and at the club every everybody had agreed to say oh um okay yeah yeah say it and and say it, but it's a it's a long forgotten story and so on but one of his advisors one of the advisors of um, Thomas Reis told him um uh, to to say that there was no offer by Schalke so for some reasons to lie to the public and um, and from there on everything went finally downhill um, because most of the people knew um, the uh, this was this was a lie and so when Thomas Letch took over um, Sebastian Schinzelorz already had gone Thomas Reis had gone and the team had uh, um, one point and was in a deep depression. And um, <clears throat> so he managed, this coach managed an incredible turnaround. And uh, I said that Urs Fischer is my uh, coach of the season. But uh, to me, what Thomas Letch did at Bochum uh, came, came pretty close. But what about the players, um, Christoph? We, we talked about, you talked about Thomas 
Ledge being uh, the savior. But who should take credit for making what looked like impossible in the end possible for this team? Um, Bochum lost some very good players before the start of the season. And the team they had this season was worse than the one uh, the season before. Uh, that's also uh, important. But what... Um, what um, there are some players I, I would regard as winners. Um, one of them is Ivan Ordets, a central defender, Ukrainian central defender who came from uh, Dynamo Moscow because of the um, war situation in the Ukraine. And he had a terrible start. And I talked to Thomas Lech a while ago and he said, and I think I already told it on the pod here, um, that he found a, a team with divisions. On one side, there were the players who were part of the success story I was talking about. And then the new, uh, uh, the players who were coming in new, like audits, for example. And, um, and they didn't make it easy for these players, um, especially when their um, performance was not so good. And that was true, especially for, for this guy. But Ivan Ordets, toward the end of the um, season, became one of the uh, pillar stones of, of this uh, success of the um, how they avoided relegation, uh, together with Philipp Hofmann, who replaced Sebastian Polter, a player the uh, Bochum had also lost before the start of the season as a center forward. Bochum is playing a lot with long balls. They need a target player. Um, uh, for second balls and so on, and and Philipp Hofmann was outstanding there, and and I already mentioned it in in one of our recent issue that Anthony Lucia now at thirty seven, the team captain is was probably the most valuable player of this team. But I say it again, this is a team that doesn't have much quality, and um, and now um, as we are not only reviewing but also previewing um, they already signed some interesting players and um, <laughs> and one of them is is uh, Moritz uh, Bruni Quateng he comes from Magdeburg from the second division and he is a player that Bochum paid the most transfer money for in 15 years and now it's a quiz question. How much do they pay for him? I would say 8 million euros. No, one. What? So that that tells you also a bit uh, about the um, fi financial muscle uh, of, of, this <laughs> of this club. Um, they also um, signed uh, Lukas Daschner on a free transfer from uh, Sao Pauli. Uh, one, so two very, very, very good players from the second division. And Felix Paslak, who is a right defender from Borussia Dortmund. Um, he, he, he didn't play much at, at Borussia, but I think his style of play will perfectly fit to Bochum and, and also to the uh, Bochum supporters because he is a typical fighter. Um, and um, what we also will see um, that uh, Thomas Lech, who favors uh, uh, a three men uh, uh, in the back, uh, will, will, um, will try this uh, second system uh, for the next season. And therefore, Bochum also needs some 
more central defenders. Um, but but I've, I've said it in the um, in, in the recent pods. Um, uh, the great thing about it all is um, the atmosphere around the club has never been go as good as uh, uh, today. I would say in my lifetime. So um, uh, a lot of excitement about the club. Great crowds, great atmosphere. Um, also, the um, financial situation is getting better and better. So, you're optimistic for next season? Um, yes, I am. Um, this is uh, the first time where, in three seasons, where Bochum, when you look at the financial table, is not in a, in a sport where th that leads to direct relegation because. Um, Heidenheim and Darmstadt have uh, smaller financial means. Okay. So you're aiming for 16, <laughs> 15 spot? Something like that. Yeah. It's a, it's a good old relegation uh, a struggle. That's, um, yeah, that's, that's the story of this club. All right. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, Perhaps less romantic is the struggle of VfL Wolfsburg to get into the Europa League places. They failed uh, towards the end because from the last four games, they lost three, only won one. That was against um, TSG Hoffenheim. Uh, that left them uh, sitting just outside Europa League places in eighth spot. Uh, they missed the Europa League by one point. And it's difficult to say whether it was a decent season or not uh, for Niko Kovac. They showed some good stuff. They had the defensive solidity that you expect from a Niko Kovac side. But up front, they were a little bit low on firepower. And I think, Christoph, that is probably the reason why we didn't see more from them. If you look at their main goal scorers, the most successful goal scorer was Jonas Wind, who scored six goals. And that is probably not enough. Yes, they shared the goals around a bit, if you want to put a positive slant on it. But the players around him, Oma Mamush, five goals, Lukas Metscher, four goals, Luka Walschmidt, four goals. And then also in midfield, nobody in double figures. So perhaps lacking x factor that you need if you want to go all the way what what did you make of them this season they never interested me <laughs> um, okay. um, I, 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 to, yeah to be honest um they 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 are they are t teams that um can fascinate you also by playing ugly football for example um, we, we, we later on have uh we'll talk about augsburg for example and i think they are one of the typical examples of what I would call ugly football. And that can be fascinating. Also, I mean, teams who, who play great, they, they are naturally fascinating. Or clubs that have a certain atmosphere around them. Uh, or we have been talking about Stuttgart with all these weird discussions and what I would have called false narratives and so on. That's all interesting. But what is it with uh, Wolfsburg? Yes, they played a decent season, 
okay, they bottled the European place in on the last day of the season. That was probably the most dramatic thing you will connect to them uh, this year because uh, we talked about it losing at home uh, to already relegated Hertha uh, after being 1-0 up is and then dropping out of Europa is ridiculous. And that's that's also probably causes sporting problems because there is um, a kind of also when you when 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 you are at Wolfsburg also there is no no dedicated interest in them and so so people have these nice players good coaches sometimes great games blah 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 but there there is a spark lacking and um, and and that's probably the main problem they have so it's it's if you go to to Wolfsburg as a player it's 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 a bit like going into retirement because um, um, yeah, it's it's un unfair to say um, because they are sportsmen and they do their best and and so on but um, yeah there is you don't need it or, or, or am I too harsh no I, th I think you are right that Wolfsburg is a difficult club to get excited about even for Wolfsburg inhabitants themselves the, the stadium is very rarely full and mere a merely competent side doesn't get the juices flowing of course we had some very exciting Wolfsburg teams most importantly the one that won the league in 2009 under Felix Magath and they were I think for neutrals generally exciting to watch and fun to watch this team less so but I think there is beauty to be found in a team being competent in a league that is sometimes low on sides that do their job well and I think Wolfsburg by and large have done their job well and Niko Kovac has done a decent job with the players at his disposal the question is where's the ceiling for this team can they go higher and that's going to be interesting because Felix and Metzger is close to moving to Dortmund he's an important player for them and one player who doesn't think that Wolfsburg is a retirement home and actually says it's a dream for him to play there is coming and that's a Czech winger called Vlatslav Czerny who's moving from Twente and some width is exactly what this team need they have Patrick Wimmer a young Austrian who's uh, improving a lot but they need that bit more quality up front and of course they have to be careful not to lose a player that you and me Christoph have valued quite highly last season in defense Mickey van der Feen one of the shooting stars of The Bundesliga, there's talk of uh, big teams being interested in him and maybe Wolfsburg have already taken his departure into account because they have signed two defenders. Uh, one is Cedric Zesiger from Young Boys Ban, a Swiss champion. He is 24 And they've also picked up one of the players from relegated Schalke, uh, Moritz Jens. Uh, Jens, also a young player who looked quite well when he came on. Well, he's not that young, but uh, he's 24 and he's come back from a loan deal. 
at Celtic and he's done done pretty well in the second half of the season for the Schalke team to earn himself a move up to Wolfsburg. So they are making some moves, but I think until they sign the kind of player that you and me, Christoph, or maybe neutrals can really get excited about, preferably a striker in the Jekyll mold or somebody of that quality, we will probably see them as the football equivalent of a Volkswagen Golf. Uh, very solid, but not really something that will keep you up at night. <laughs> That's very nicely said. Thank you very much. Well, I think that's enough of uh, competent but slightly dull teams. Let's go exactly the other way and talk about Borussia Dortmund. We are really excited to have Uli Hesse here uh, today with, uh, with us on the show. Not only because Uli is my dear colleague at El Freunde since 2016, before that He's been writing for 442 and he has been the editor of the German edition of the Champions League magazine uh, that was at that time provided by UEFA. He has also written some fantastic books that you can actually read because they have been, uh, have been written in English. And um, one is Tor, the story of German football. And um, if you want to read it in Danish, Polish or Japanese, uh, Uh, you, you can do it also. Um, together with Paul Simpson, he wrote Who Invented the Bicycle Kick? Um, he uh, wrote the story of Bayern uh, creating a global super club. And he also wrote a, wrote a book about his beloved Borussia Dortmund where he is a season ticket holder. I, I will ask him soon since uh, ages. Um, it's called Building the Yellow Wall, the incredible rise and cult appeal of Borussia Dortmund. And it was the winner of the football book of the year in 2019. Hello, Uli. Uh, since when are you a season ticket holder at Borussia? Christoph, first of all, thanks for the longest intro in the history of podcasts. <laughs> I feel honored. <laughs> Thanks for having me on the show. Um, um, I saw my first game in 77, and I'm a season ticket holder since 1982. Okay, quite a while. So, so was the last day of, the, of last season um, one of the saddest days you uh, ever encountered at uh, the Westfalenstadion, or where do you put it in the... In the in the uh, wider wider picture, uh, that that was a nice twist you gave the question there because you added at the Westfalenstadion. <laughs> because I, I was just about to tell you the story um, how we lost the league title four minutes from time in 1992 in Duisburg when um, when Stuttgart scored a very la late goal, and that was my most tra traumatic day. Uh, at a football ground. It was also the last day, and the two things are connected. It was the last day I ever had a radio with me. <laughs> so if, if you recall that game, um, we went there as, as, as just rank outside as dark horses. And then all through the second half, people kept starting believing we would win the league. And everybody started chanting and singing and everything. It was all, all black and yellow flags in Duisburg. And then 
just opposite on the stand opposite with opposite of us um the four minutes from time suddenly all singing stopped and all flags came down and the entire stand turned towards me and said what happened <laughs> because i was the only one with the radio Uh, and I had to tell them that Stuttgart had scored the winner away at Leverkusen and we were not going to win the league. But you said at the at the Westfalenstadion. And yes, I think that was my, I think it's, it was the worst day at the ground I've ever had yet. What went wrong? Uh, how much time do you have? <laughs> how much time do you need? <laughs> oh, God. Um, you know, the first thing everybody, everybody would tell you is just, that the team just, you know, was overwhelmed. It was too much pressure and everything. Um, but it was also just a freak game in a way. Um, and the turning point was actually, I think the turning point was the penalty, um, which, um, which you, you yeah. mentioned the magazine we both work on. And a colleague of us researched a bit about that yeah, game. We are for, for really the, the excited to have he found out Uli Hesse here. Who took the ball away from Memra Chan, who was supposed to take the penalty, actually has a fantastic record as a penalty taker. You know, he's missed only once in 28 attempts. But, but nobody at the time, nobody knew this at the ground, at least not nobody that I was aware of. Um, so we all asked ourselves why he was taking the ball away from Memra Chan. And um, yeah. Think when, it, when when he missed the penalty, there was also the moment that most people started thinking this was not our day, that something was going wrong here, and uh, and the mood shifted and everything. And yeah, then again, then again, also I, I say it was a freak accident, a freak game. Um, I've read somewhere that we had a, a sensational um, expected goals figure, you know, so, something totally crazy like four and a half or whatever. Uh, so it was also bad luck as always. Um, yeah, but, but, you know, this being football, it's just the result that counts. And so that's, that was that. I've seen some quotes from Hans-Joachim Watzke, the uh, chairman, who said, yes, of course, we, we messed up and we should have won the game. But actually, looking at the whole season, we didn't lose the championship on the final day of the season. We lost it much earlier. Is this just a coping mechanism? <laughs> Or is there actually some truth here because Dortmund, even by their own standards, probably should have had a better first half of the season to give themselves a better chance to win? Well, of course, that's true. Um, but then again, you know, I was there. I saw the game. And I can guarantee you we lost it on that day. <laughs> um, because if we'd won the game, we'd won the league. So um, <laughs> you know, that's just the way it is. I mean... Um, Of course, I mean he, he's he's right in way because there were so many games in the, in the build up to this final final day that we should have, we should have wrapped up the league a lot earlier, you know it was, it was all dropping all those points against teams mired in the relegation zone like Christoph's own team Bochum, Schalke was probably the worst from my point of view. Most people would point to Stuttgart because you know the team blew a two goal lead against ten men, then took the lead again and and still couldn't win. But for me, I think the low point was Schalke because that was, uh, I mean, they were so awful. You know, Schalke were awful and you, you should never be, you know. Uh, ah. Anyway, but, you know, at the end of the day, uh, th there's 90 minutes of football to be played. And um, so, you know, on, on that day, the rest of the season didn't matter. You know, it was all about this day. And so 
Uh, so our great chairman is right in a way and, and wrong in some others. But of course, he had to say something, you know. I mean, it's, this is what everybody... I mean, this is, this is the standard reply. You know, normally you hear that from teams who get relegated, you know. Um, like, like Schalke fans would say, you know, we were not, not relegated in the last weeks of the season. We were relegated in the first half of the season because that's why we dropped so many points. But yeah, what does it mean for Borussia Dortmund? Um, Borussia has been in this kind of uncomfortable situation, um, being the number two in Germany, and uh, um, the gap in recent years was sometimes terrible—ten points, twelve points, whatever. Sometimes uh, Borussia didn't even finish second. Um, so um, I think everybody at Borussia and yourself have been longing to, to win the title again. Also, to change the narrative about Borussia as being this kind of um, a number two that isn't, uh, isn't able to, to, to close the gap to, to uh, Bayern. So what does it mean uh, for the future of the near future for the next season? Is there Uh, are you entering or is Borussia entering the season with this kind of uh, frustration, depression, or what would you say? Well, this is exactly the key question. <laughs> And uh, uh, I mean, it was not so long ago that I actually went to, um, um, you know, uh, for, for a piece we're going to run in the magazine. I went to, um, how do you call these things in England? Allotment gardens? It's called an allotment. And so, and so there's hundreds of these allotment gardens literally littered around the ground. Um, so we went there to talk to these people who, who, who actually live, you know, in the shadow of the ground. And most of them are season ticket holders. Most of them went to the game. Those who didn't stayed behind, you know, they heard the noises from the ground. And, and I went there to find out what people think about you know, how people are going to the new season. Because you asked me about my season ticket. And this is the first time since I have a season ticket that I'm not looking forward to the season. <laughs> I'm, actually, I'm actually, at this point in time, at least not very interested in the new season. I'm still, which is, which is I know, which is very unprofessional of me, but I'm still sort of stuck. <laughs> and I just can't seem to get out of last season. More precisely, the last day of the last season. And um, I think quite a few people feel that way. Um, because whoever we talk to, you know, almost the first, the first line we heard from them was, were you there? <laughs> so it was sort of like they, they were sort of dividing people into those who were there and those who weren't. Um, but there was also a general feeling of, you know, some of those people put it very, very eloquently. One of them has said that, You know, we're not the same. I mean, we're a big club and we're a rich club and we've won a lot of league titles, but we're not Bayern Munich, you know. We don't go into a season expecting to win the league. So that has never been in our DNA. Instead, what has been in our DNA is sort of, you know, doing things uh, against the grain, you know, sort of falling down and then standing up again. And um, so the general mood was cautiously optimistic, I would say. Main, and, and the main reason for that is the coach. Um, because everybody seems to love Edin Terzic and everybody seems to feel that uh, he's the first, actually the first guy since club who's, who's a really good match, you know, with the club. But as for me, 
like I said, I've just at this point in time, I'm just not interested in the new season. <laughs> so, so I, and that's also why I think this is the key question. You know, for, for the first time in like, well, certainly 10 years, it's not about who's coming in, who's going out, even though we're losing Jude Bellingham, you know, which is a terrible loss. But it's more about how do people cope with this? You know, what is the atmosphere? Will Eden Terzic manage to, you know, pick up the team? So suddenly it's all about these intangible things instead of, you know, strikers or defenders or midfield players. So it's a kind of um, post-traumatic stress syndrome um, that is around Borussia or uh, probably not, not not everybody or hopefully not the players and, and the coach, but um, it sounds a bit like this. Yeah, I hope not. I hope not. Yeah. I mean, it's not just Dortmund supporters, I think, um, um, because, because it was... You know, that last day was not just about Dortmund. It was sort of, it, you, you mentioned that before, but it, I think it would have given the entire league a big, you know, a, a big lift, a big kick up the arse, you know, uh, just to have, to finally have a, a, another, a new league champion. And uh, it, it wasn't just that game, you know. Um, on the very next day, uh, against my better judgment, I decided to watch uh, the Bundesliga 2. You know, and, and I suddenly thought that, hey, wait a minute, Hamburg are going up, you know, against all odds, <laughs> Heidenheim are not going up. Well, that's a good sign, you know, sort of like, there might be a football guard after all. And then, you know, Heidenheim scored two goals, eons into injury time. <laughs> uh, you know, then Leipzig win the cup again, Man City win the Champions League. And there was this strange feeling that no, nothing's ever going to change. Uh, we're sort of stuck in this, I don't know, it's not postmodern, it's whatever, a football universe and we just can't seem to get out so um i think a lot of people were depressed and frustrated by the end of the season by how the season ended except rafa of course <laughs> yeah uh, <clears throat> how how big a blow is is losing jude you alluded to him it feels strangely quiet uh when harland left it was a a big discussion when sancho left it dragged on forever this one was relatively smooth and we haven't really heard much about him being missed perhaps or the big problem of filling the gap next season. Do you think Dortmund will manage that or is there a problem coming that hasn't really been discussed yet? Well, I think the reason you heard so little was, was really that it was totally overshadowed by how the season ended. And um, because... Um, it, it, From my point of view, it was different. I mean, when we went to those allotments, you know, they all, that was one of the questions I asked them. And, and they all said, you know, we, we lost Jaden Sancho and we lost Erling Haaland and we lost Dembele. And we always, we always got to find somebody new, you know. They will find another, I don't know, 19-year-old wunderkind somewhere and uh, we're going to be okay. Um, but in a way, it was different. It was, it was different from Sancho and Erling and... And, um, and Dembele, because Bellingham was immensely popular. You know, he was, he, well, he was probably the biggest fan favorite since, I don't know, since those Polish players, you know, since Piszczek and Kuba hung up their boots. Um, he, was, he was very, very much, very loved by the Dortmund fans. Um, you know, not, not just for his style of football, you know, um, but that, that helped, of course. But also because, um, you know, it, it's, it seemed to mean something to him, you know. Um, I mean, everybody knew it was just um, a springboard for him, that he would move on to a bigger club, like, like they all do, you know. Um, and, and still, he had a very good rapport with the fans. He was one of those players who would always throw 
uh, his shirt, you know, into the crowd or give it to a kid or something like that. He just, I, I think in the week leading up to the final game, he, he gave into, um, um, he, he was signing autographs for, for like an hour at the training ground. Um, so, so we're going to miss him on the, on the pitch and off the pitch. So, uh, yeah. But like I said, in a normal season, or at least after a normal season, this would be one of the major talking points. You know, how do we replace Jude Bellingham and, and what do we do with the money, <laughs> with all the money they're throwing at us? But right now it's, it's different. Most, most people think, you know, um, just what Christoph asked, will we be able to pick ourselves up? You know, because, because it's, this is going to be difficult, you know. Will the players have the mental strengths to, to do this? And um, yeah, this, is, this uh, is what counts right now. Um, uh, sorry, Olive, uh, to, 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 to ask you about uh, some possible transfers, or at least one. <laughs> um, because there's a controversy about uh, Felix Metzger, who plays for Wolfsburg, and uh, Dortmund seems to be interested in him. Um, uh, Possibly you can explain to us what the story is and why, why um, uh, obviously a lot of Dortmund fans are opposed to, the, uh, to this transfer. Yeah, I think it, this goes back to, to a couple of things that he did on social media. Um, um, I, 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 always, I, mean, I, I always hesitate a bit when it's about social media, what people do there, because... Um, um, Because he's never been able to properly um, explain himself, you know. But it's mainly about um, um, some tweets of his, um, probably religiously motivated, that are being um, regarded as, 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 as homophobe and, and, you know, and transphobe. Um, <clears throat> this has become a major talking point, yes, indeed. Um, this is probably... Um, it, it also, you know, it even had an in, influence on... Um, um, you know, at the, around the same time that people were discussing this transfer, there was also the rumor that Ilkay Gundogan, you know, might be coming back, which was always out of the question. But you know, people liked people like a good story, and so they were debating this, and they were bringing up you know those Erdogan pictures again from from you know, um, and, and that story, and, and um, yeah, so that, that was all tied in together, and. Um, That, yeah, that's dominated the transfer talk among Dortmund's fans, it's true. Uli, you mentioned Edin Terzic, and I agree with you that he is a very, very extremely likable uh, person. And, and I, I agree also with you that he seems to be the perfect match for Borussia. Um, but how good as a coach is he? Um, he doesn't have much experience. Um, that, that's, of course, another thing. But one of the two things was this... Uh, is he really a good coach, you know? Um, but of course, well, okay. The other thing is, um, is he a bit too likable? You know, <laughs> that's what a lot of fans said. Is he, well, he's too nice, you know? Uh, he's, and, and coaches aren't supposed to be like that, you know? I mean, Jürgen Klopp is, uh, I mean, you know him, right? He, he's, and Rafa knows him. Uh, I mean, he's a great guy. You can talk to him. He's funny and everything. But it can also be very harsh on his players, you know. It's not. I don't think it's great fun, you know, being uh, doing something wrong in a training session when Jurgen Klopp is supervising the session. So, so a lot of people felt that maybe he's a bit too, too soft. I think too soft was the word quite a few people used. Uh, but then he did, or somebody did something during this season, and it must have been him. Um, one of those things was that. Um, 
after this disastrous first half of the season. Um, he, must have, he must have done something to pick up the team, you know. Um, and, and some of those things were just tactical, strategic things. Some of those things had to do with personnel. One of those things was playing Sebastian Allaire as soon as he was halfway fit again. And I can tell you how many people on the South Stand were very critical of that after two or three games when Sebastian Allaire was not, was not doing what most people expect a central striker to do, you know. Um, but um, Tears just kept playing him. And the team kept getting better. So there must have been a connection, you know. And um, obviously you later begin to see the connection, you know. You, you, you realize that that Daniel Malin is suddenly a different player because all of a sudden he's always has is having acres of space around him, you know. Um, but somebody must have created the space for him, you know. So you begin to realize that, yeah, maybe Terzic does know one or two things about team selection. Uh, then another thing was that, which a lot of people found very impressive, was that um, the key player and team captain Marco Royce is now basically a substitute, you know. He's no longer a starting player. And, you know, under normal circumstances, that would have caused quite a problem um, because Marco is quite nice, but he does have a bit of an ego, you know. But nothing, nothing really happened. Everything, I think it's kept quiet. So Terzic must have managed this quite well, you know. So he must be a really good man manager. So there are a couple of things that have to do with being a good coach um, where he proved last season that he does have that. He can do this. He, um, he has this expertise. Um, you, you mentioned Marco Reus. That's probably our last question. Uh, would you have extended his contract? <laughs> so, as you said, I, I, he, he was probably the best, best paid uh, player or one of the best paid players in, uh, of the team. Uh, his game was so so fantastic uh, last season. So, would you have extended his con contract? Yes, I think I would. Um, I, I mean, I'm giving I'm giving you the 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 tired old answer that uh, that it's just good for identification for you know for to have somebody like him. You know, he was born and raised in Dortmund. who played for the team, was sent away because he's too frail, then came back. Um, I think it's good to have somebody like that. Um, I know we can sometimes be too sentimental, you know, and, and hanging on to players for too long or bringing back players, uh, you know, just just Dortmund have probably have a bit of a difficult history of, you know, bringing back like the Shines and the Kagavas and the Götzes and everybody. Um, but, um, but I think, yeah, I would have extended his contract for all those things and also because I think He still does have a couple of good games in him. So I, th I think it was a sensible solution. Okay, Uli. So then we hope um, you have some um, great games with Marco Reus and Borussia Dortmund next season. Then, because there will be a next season. Uh, probably you, you, you're still denying it, but the, it, it, will, it will come. And, uh, yeah, I know. Sorry if, if I may interrupt you. One of those things is that um, deep-seated frustration has become sort of the key mode Dortmund fans operate in. You know, uh, you mentioned that. You know, we always end up in second place or whatever, and and then there's always a all those complaints about you know having players not having the right mentality or whatever and losing games they shouldn't lose. And always, 
I must say, for, for, for the last two or three years, I always told people that I might, maybe it's my age, but I find some sort of perverse pleasure in the fact that the team is so unpredictable, if you know what I mean. I, I just sort of like the thing. I mean, when you're standing on but the... They're, but they're predictably unpredictable. Uh, yes, but you know, you know, leading 2-0 against a promoted side with one minute left and losing, you know, at home, that, that's not even, you know, none of us would have predicted that, but they did it, you know. Then, like, like I said, leading 10 Stuttgart players 2-0, conceding the equalizer, that was predictable, unpre predictably unpredictable. But then coming back to win it and then throwing away. No, that. Yeah. <laughs> because we keep doing all those things that Bayern Munich never do, you know. Um, it's also when, when teams like Augsburg come to Dortmund, you know. And you know before the game, well, they're probably going to score three goals against us, you know. <laughs> This can happen, no problem. It's easily done. Um, so for years and years, there was, in a way, or maybe it was, maybe it was just a self-defense mechanism. But I kind of like that about the fact that you go to the ground and you actually have no idea what's going to happen. You know, they can blow the other team off. They can play them off the park and win 6-1. But they can also easily lose 4-2 or whatever. Um, but then doing it on the last day of the season, <laughs> you know, that, that was taking things too far, you know, um, against Mainz. Because it, it, was, it was one of those predictably unpredictable Dortmund games. But um, I've had enough of those now. Thank you so much, Oli. Well, thank you. And thanks for having me. Thank you. And good luck with the therapy. <laughs> <laughs> That sums up part three of the big beer and honey Bundesliga preview review. Uh, we'll be back next Monday with another exciting look back and look ahead to what's happening next season. Please do tune in again. And please, if you can, become a member of the Beer and Honey Supporters Club. We really appreciate each and every one of you with your contribution. If you want to be an ultra, even better, you'll become a proud owner of a Beer and Honey special mug in return. Thank you so much. I was Rafael Honigstein. I was Christoph Biermann and we say bye-bye. Bye-bye. Beer and Honey, the German football podcast. Thank you.